1: So last week, Saturday, I was uh, sitting on the couch with my wife and I got a text and it was from Pastor Ken. I'm not, I don't remember the time, it was, might have been about 9-ish, 9 p.m. And uh, he was saying, yeah, I went to um, Chris Stewart's birthday party, she turned 95. That's Rob Stewart's mom, big part of this church. And uh, I'm just not feeling so good. So you might just want to get ready to preach. So, you know, Ken, if, if he actually said that, that means, uh, you might get, that means he's hurting lots, but he just doesn't really say stuff like that, right? And then soon thereafter, like I said, something like, well, maybe I'll, I'll preach on Numbers 13, because that's what he was supposed to preach on on Sunday morning. And then as time went on, he uh, said, you know what, um, after lots of encouragement from Frida and, uh, and myself, we uh, said, y- y- you should go in, because uh, he had a pain in his sternum. So he went in for tests, and he was released at about two in the morning and uh, they did the blood tests and all that stuff and everything seemed clear and, m- and then on uh, Sunday morning when we were right here, he uh, collapsed on his bathroom floor and then through the coaching of 911, Nova helped resuscitate him until um, the first responders came in and continued and they got him back, brought him to Peace Arch Hospital And there was another cold cold blue And they worked on him for about half an hour To no avail To no avail Pastor Ken The guy takes it literally What I've said many times to him and to others I was taught to preach, pray, or die At a moment's notice Ken would preach Although through the encouragement of Nova Give him at least two weeks notice please uh, pray he, any any moment, and he took the last one literally too. He uh, preached, pray, or died at a moment's notice. Um, you guys, he was going to preach on Numbers 13, among other things, another passage in Exodus. And um, it came about because he preached one sermon on uh, limited vision equals limited life. And I was just like, that was a fantastic sermon. We, we got to make a series out of that, huh? So I sat down in my office. I came up with about nine sermons, and I sent it to him, and he's going like, I don't know if you can really milk nine sermons out of this, right? <laughs> and I said, don't worry about it. You just take promised land. That's what you wanted to do. So he was going to preach on Numbers 13, entering the Promised Land. And the title of his sermon was something along the lines of, If God has if God calls you, he enables you. Well, and then the next week I was gonna, if God calls you, he empowers you. So then, when he didn't preach, obviously I, um, I had to come up with something real quick. So we went with um, Peter walking on the water. And that was kind of neat because I had no idea what storm was coming. And we uh, agreed last week that the safest place to be is not on the land, not in the boat, but in the water, in the storm. We're in the storm. We're in the storm. So... Um, all I can say, it was a privilege to know Ken As a man, as a, as a husband, as a friend, deep friend, a co-worker The list goes on, you know, a bit of a legend Before we hired him here and all that stuff It was kind of neat It was a privilege But speaking of privilege Do you ever sit back, or do we ever sit back and realize How privileged we have it That we can have a relationship with God Almighty the privilege that we have, what the extent that Jesus went to, to prove his love and to buy us back from a life of sin, and that the privilege that God loves us and he wants to lead us. And that's, I think, where I want to go today. So before we jump in, let's pray together. Jesus, we're thankful for today. Thankful to remember a dear friend and pastor. And Heavenly Father, we ask for strength on the journey, especially for Nova and the kids. For the staff and the church here, and for those he's touched, but there's, uh, like I said before, there's um, a really difficult sermon or very difficult uh, funerals. Uh, There's hard ones, there's the ones that are complicated. Well, this one's not complicated, but it's hard because we're going to miss them. So we're thankful that you lent them to us for a while. And now we ask, Lord, that as we jump into the Word of God, that there will be comfort for our hearts but also that it would, just like Ken would want that, we wouldn't pause and uh, just look at him, but Lord, that he was a beacon of light that shone toward our Savior, Jesus Christ. So thank you for him. Thank you for your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to look at Psalm 23. So I'm going to ask if it can go on behind me that you would stand with me and we would say this one together. Psalm 23, Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the darkest valley, I fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. You may be seated. I got mixed up there because I think I memorized that in the New King James Version. So let me read that again, but from a different version. And this time I would like you just to uh, dwell in the Lord's presence and let His word minister to you. Maybe there's a phrase in there that just really cuts deep for you. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May God bless the reading of his word. Here the psalmist, David, is writing to the great shepherd, and yet he was a pretty good shepherd himself. Before he put on that crown, before he ran a kingdom, uh, the psalmist was a shepherd boy. So if anybody can write from the perspective of a shepherd, surely this guy can So the psalmist, David, he knew what he was talking about when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When I was a kid, that made no sense to me. Uh, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Like, I don't get that wording, you know, but when we uh, continue to read it, in a different language perhaps, or in a different uh, version, it says, I lack nothing, I have no wants. I'm done, I'm good, I'm content." I have everything I need. So the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. When we go back to John chapter 10 and look at it through the eyes of Psalm 23, we are not talking about some hired hand here. We're not talking about a hireling. We're not talking about somebody that the Lord, okay, I'll give you 12 bucks an hour, take care of my sheep. We're talking about the shepherd who loves his sheep. Did you know that even in the old days, sometimes they would have a flock, let's say I, ha- I had 80 sheep, and we would go to a pen for the night, and there would be a fence all around it, but my, there'd be my 80 sheep, Carrie's 400 sheep, your 10 sheep, whatever, and they'd all be in this fence together, and then there would be somebody that would actually, I am the gate. They would sleep across the gate, so no sheep could get out, and no bad wolves could get in. I would get up in the morning about probably 5.35 and I'd walk and I would say something that only my sheep knew but my sheep would come because they knew my voice. Isn't that credible? So David is talking about a shepherd that knows his sheep. The Lord knows Ken. The Lord knows Nova. And the Lord knows your needs and your hurts today. The Lord is my shepherd. Before I go on, I got to say this. I looked at this with fresh eyes this time, and I see there's a whole bunch of stuff that the Lord does in this psalm, and there's not a whole lot that you do, or that I do. Like, the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me. He leads me. He restores me. He leads me. It goes on and on and on. And what about I? It's just like, um, I shall not want. That's my role. Um, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's what I do. And then I will fear no evil, for you are with me, and I will dwell. Sheesh. There's not a whole lot I'm doing there. And God's doing it all. The shepherd's doing it all so I took great comfort in that this last week so I think and in this foreshadowing I think what we gotta do what we gotta learn our lifelong journey and I think what Ken was onto something here and what he has full on right now with no distractions is to learn how to dwell in the house of the Lord forever and that doesn't just start when we leave this place here it starts now how to dwell in the presence of the most high king how to dwell in the presence of the Most High King. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He's not like a cowboy. He's not behind me with a lasso and a horse pushing me towards something. That doesn't work. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. Why? For His name's sake. That's important too. For his name's sake, it's his name on the line, and he is doing this. He's the faithful one. I'm not faithful. We said even last week that sometimes I'm st- trying my best to hold on to the hand of God, and sometimes I just can't do it anymore through whatever, anxiety, depression, or overwhelmed by circumstances. I might even let go of his hand, but he has not let go of yours. And he uses a word which you're going to see at the end of the psalm here, which, point, which really underlines that, that he does not let go of you even the times where you're tempted to let go of him the lord is my shepherd i shall not be in want he restores he re- protects he heals he lifts up he encourages and he leads me he leaves me beside quiet waters and rejuvenates me or hydrates me. In fact, when you look at this, and there's a guy named Phil Keller who wrote a book on it, and Phil Keller can write a book on it because he loves Jesus and he was a shepherd, so he knows what he's talking about. So when he was a shepherd, he looked at this and he says, when he leaves me beside quiet waters, there's at least three different things that he can do here. He leads me beside streams and springs. He doesn't take me to the edge of the Fraser. Why? Because sheep aren't always the sharpest in the shed. Okay, and they could lean down and drink from this rushing water, get totally sopping wet, and the weight of that on their what do you call that? Fur or hair or wool, thank you, I knew that (laughs) would take them under. They would drown. So the shepherd would take them to a safe place to get a drink streams and springs. The second place would be the morning dew. If you get up early enough, boy, there's a lot of dew these mornings. There's dew all over my deck and dew on my windshield and stuff like that. And shepherd knew about that. That was another water source. And that was sometimes short-lived, but that's kind of representative of us too is that we need these long times of dwelling with Christ, of meditating on his word, but we also need those short spurts throughout the day of where we acknowledge him working in our lives and being rejuvenated by the dew of his word. And also the deep wells. He brings us to the deep wells. Phil Keller talked about sometimes where they had to go through the valley of the shadow of death to get to these deep wells or to the plateaus, which you'll see in a moment. But the deep wells sometimes took a lot of work where he'd have to take off a shirt man and he'd scale down a wall with a bucket and a rope and try and get enough water to bring up so that he could bring sustenance to his flock because he loved them and cared for them. He rejuvenated He restored them through streams and springs. Morning dew and deep wells. There's times too where a sheep can become cast. What in the world does that mean? Well, let me read what somebody else said. Sheep are built in such a way that if they fall over on their side and then onto their back, it's very difficult, really difficult for them to get back up again. They flail their legs in the air, they bleat and they cry. After a few hours on their backs, gas begins to collect in their stomachs. Their stomach hardens. The air passage is cut off and the sheep will eventually suffocate. This is referred to as cast down position. Interesting, huh? So he restores and rejuvenates me. You ever feel like you're on your back? Or you've fallen on your side and you're starting to choke? you're starting to lose your breath? Well, it's interesting because the author goes on to say that when it comes to restoring, a shepherd would come and see the bleating sheep, see it on its back or on its side, and slowly bring it back to equilibrium, take care of it, and sometimes just grab and hold that sheep and bring it warmth to its body again, and then he would massage its legs and its limbs to bring circulation back to its body to bring life, to bring rejuvenation, to bring sustenance. I love that. So that's what a shepherd does to a sheep, and that's what God does to us. If you're feeling downcast today, if you're feeling cast, if you're feeling you've been thrown on your back or onto your side, he wants to massage you, your spirit, your emotions, back to a place where you can continue to feel his comfort and his leading in your life. And he does this for his name's sake. This is one that I know way too well. I love this part, but it's, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And I've said to you before, I sometimes cut it short, I say, yea, though I walk through the valleys, or yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadows, Or yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of doubts. I think we can do that. But sometimes it feels like death when you're having an anxiety attack. When you can't make the bills and you wonder who's going to knock on your door. When somebody so dear to you like Ken has died and you go, oh God, there's not many like him left. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I do not have to fear. For thou, dear God, are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me now some of us grew up old school so when you heard about the staff and the rod or that special belt that your dad may have had you go that does not bring me any comfort so this is old school stuff I'm talking about here and uh, boy that wooden spoon or whatever whatever it might be but uh, y- you know we're talking a healthy situation a healthy dad not punishing but uh, bringing correction bringing direction, bringing discipline, okay? That didn't bring me a whole lot of comfort. And here he's saying, you don't have to fear, because I have my big stick, my staff, and my rod, and that's going to comfort you. What? So it's interesting, because as you look at this a little bit more, you see that with his rod and a staff, he would sometimes have a rod and the rod could be for self-defense from a, an animal or whatever. But sometimes as he's guiding his sheep, some of them aren't the sharpest. You know, some of them are attracted, oh, squirrel, just like us, right? So sometimes you have the sheep that would go off and just with the end of his rod, he would lay his rod on the back of a sheep. And he's, whoa, oh yeah. And he'd go back and he'd be refocused, what he was trying to do. There's other times, and perhaps he's a sheep like me, where it's not just touching the wool, but it's more of a whoosh, you know? And it's like, oh yeah, 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 I got that, yeah, right. And we're back in line. Other times, as they continue, and sheep, like I said, they'll graze and they'll graze and they'll graze, and sometimes they graze so much that they're not paying attention, they can graze themselves off a cliff or a crevice. And he has the staff, really long staff, with a crooked or a hooked end so that he can go down into a crevice and save a sheep that may have got himself into trouble. Save him. And folks, as Keller points out, sometimes a caring shepherd will realize that there's this one sheep or two sheep that just keep straying. They keep straying. They keep getting into trouble. They keep doing really, really nasty stuff and it's just like there comes a point sometimes where a shepherd will take that sheep and actually break its leg so it stays close. But folks, the psalmist is talking about a shepherd who will hurt his sheep so that it will not be harmed. We're going through hurt here, but not harm. We're missing somebody dearly, but the great shepherd of the sheep With his rod and his staff, he comforts us and takes us through the valley of the shadow of death. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. So this is incredible because he's now taking them through the valleys. Why in the world would you do that as a shepherd? Well, the shepherd knows what he's doing because he's taking them to prepare a table. And what that meant for sheep was a plateau. So they'd go through the dark, scary valleys, the rocky crags, whatever it might be, and they'd go through that valley to a place where the shepherd knew what was good for the sheep, to a place with lush grasses and streams of living water but they had to go through the nasty stuff to get there. The plateau, the table. And as the shepherd anoints a sheep for refreshment and protection, so a shepherd does the same for us. We're lucky here today because, you know, what's kind of interesting is when I think of communion, one of, the, one of the strong admonitions that Ken would give, he didn't give a whole lot. He was a very encouraging guy, but once in a while you could see, oh, he means business on this one. And uh, with, with uh, uh, communion, he would remind me. He just says, ah, you know, communion is not always, not always a downer. It doesn't always have to be, a, uh, you know. It's celebration. It's celebration what Christ has done for us. So we're celebrating today, just so you know. We're gonna, we come to the table, to the plateau set before us in the presence of our enemies, in the presence of the sting of death, through the valley of shadow of death, through the valley of doubts, through the valley of fears, and the table is set before us, and this is what the almighty God, Jesus Christ, went to the cross to die on the cross for you and for me, and now we get the benefits of that. He went through death's dark valley for us, you guys. He died on the cross for our sins. And we get the benefit. We get the privilege of enjoying this together. You prepare a table before me. Our cup run, runs over. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runneth over. I think of, of even First John 1, 9 where he gives us the dew or he gives us the streams or whatever. First John says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he wants to come with the dew of the morning. He wants to come with the streams. He wants to come with the deep well and bring continual intimacy and connection with him. And that means doing business with him. Or John 10.10, The thief has come to kill and destroy, but I have come to give life to the full. Life overflowing. He wants to pour in. He wants to pour in. He wants to pour in. When he anoints our head with oil, the Hebrew word brings a meaning of health, thriving, full satisfaction, and prosperity. Don't you like that? So when it says, he anoints my head with oil, my cup overflows, with that meaning comes health, thriving, and full satisfaction. It's so hard to be satisfied today, isn't it? I mean, you might have married somebody, you may not have, but you're looking for somebody to satisfy you in a relationship or you might think of another job or a bigger house or whatever it may be. So this godly contentment is really sometimes hard to cultivate here. And he says here that this anointing, that the shepherd comes with this anointing, brings a full satisfaction. I was in El Florido, which is just outside Tijuana one time. Drug dealers had had torched the the, uh, hospital. And there I was, we're starting to get ready, do some building and stuff. And I saw these little Mexican kids having the greatest time, the gayest time ever. And I'm just like, what is going on? They must have the newest video game console in that thing. Or they've got to have lots of cash because they're on their way to wherever, Walmart or Costco. I don't know what's going on. But I could hardly wait to see what they were playing with. And these kids were whooping it up. So I finally got an excuse to move over there and they're running, dust is flying on the roads there, on the dusty gravel roads and I finally got close enough to them and they're laughing and tripping and having such a good time and they have this shoelace that's attached to this, uh, just a regular old cardboard box. I could hardly wait to see what's in it. Nothing. (laughs) There was nothing in their box and they were satisfied. They had joy. Folks, I think sometimes where we live, we jam all sorts of stuff in our box. And we might be happy for a day or two. But it's hard to find this deep satisfaction that we can have, that we can enjoy as the Lord anoints our head with oil and our cup overflows and then verse 6 I love this surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever well guys Ken is dwelling full-on dwelling with no distractions he's not thinking about bills he's not thinking about what he has to do the next day he is full-on no distraction worshiping and dwelling in the presence of the Lord but I really believe that that dwelling is also available to us now even when you reflect back on who Ken was, that guy had a contentment about him. Not because he had lots of stuff in his cardboard box. But there was something about him and Nova where they were working on the art of dwelling in the presence of the Most High. Let me back up and say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. That wording in Hebrew is... Chesed. You can only say it if you're Hebrew or German. Chesed. Right? And chesed is a covenant loving kindness that will follow them. And what that means, breaking it down a bit, it's a faithful, loyal, pursuing covenant love. It's a pursuing covenant love. It's the kind of love that when you're discouraged or when you're... Overwhelmed with emotion, when you have fears, when you have doubt, when you're giving in to anxiety, and you might even let go of the hand of God, His hand grabs you. That's Chesed. Surely, Chesed, surely his pursuing covenant love, surely his faithful, loyal, loving kindness will follow us all the days of our life, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord. Forever. This captures my heart. In Psalm 27, verse 4, it says, One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Psalm 27, verse 4. Let me say that again. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that I will seek after. Did you hear that, you guys? We just talked about this the other week when we said, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. He goes on to say, and you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So this dwelling also includes, go for it. Seek him with all your heart. Why not? You seek to fill up your box with a bunch of stuff that turns out to be junk where moth and rust destroy. Why not fill our boxes with a contentment as we seek after that which Christ has gotten a hold of us? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. So, to wrap up you know that Ken's desire was to follow Christ in his life in his marriage in his pastoring in his, in his uh, parenting and in his friendships his life here on earth I would say he was practicing this whole dwelling thing I knew Ken pretty good and I think he was doing this dwelling thing he was getting pretty good out of here and now without any kind of hindrance he is dwelling with the most high sovereign king of the universe but this is not a psalm just for funerals this is a psalm for us that are left it's a psalm for us to understand our privilege of knowing a guy like King, but a privilege of knowing the almighty God a privilege of understanding that he walks with us each one of us will has or right now we are walking through the valley of the shadow of death and we are not alone and the lord brings us to a plateau to a table set before us that we may dwell in his presence so your your assignment this week let's practice our dwelling that's our assignment let's practice our dwelling figure out a place where you can practice your dwelling I went for a sleep test in Abbotsford last week. It was really quite funny because he put about 5,000 little things all over my face and my body and in this huge contraption hanging around my belly. Now he said, go to sleep. <laughs> like, it's hilarious. I'm not gonna show you that picture. It's too nasty. Um, but he, and then he says, now uh, turn off your phone. So I just went like this. He says, turn off your phone. I says, turn it off. hold the power button and it went off there's no distractions that's your assignment this week turn it off find a place where you can dwell in the presence of the most high if that's walking in Crescent if that's on the promenade if that's going for a a run in Chickadee Trail if that's going to Stanley Park for a rollerblade, I don't know what it is but find a place where you can turn it off and dwell in the presence of the Most High King. Let's practice that dwelling. Let's practice the presence of the Lord in our life and be very conscientious of his presence presence throughout the moments in our lives this week. That we may dwell right now in the house of the Lord forever. Heavenly Father I thank you for your word and I thank you for a great example of a guy who uh, was honing his skills at, at, at dwelling and Father we, uh, we rely on you our great shepherd the shepherd of the sheep that you would be with us now in this dark valley of, of uh, sorrow that you would hold on to Nova's hand that you would make your care very obvious to us Lord, we need you, and we need to hone the skill of dwelling. We're thankful for your chesed, your loving kindness that pursues us. So, Father, help us to take it easy on that box that we drag around trying to fill with bright, shiny objects, and help us, Lord, rather to be satisfied, overflowing with the dwelling that we can experience with the most high king thank you jesus we pray this in your name Amen. come bless the Lord.
0: A thousand reasons for my heart to find to so bless